You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. I'm here with a very special guest today, Jonathan Torres from MAM in Memphis, Tennessee. Torres, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Well, I love I love the analogy that you mentioned right before we started the podcast about pivoting in this season. You're you're a sports ministry, a sports mentoring ministry, and yeah, would love to hear from you what what it means to pivot in this season of COVID nineteen. Well, uh, that's a great question. I think we're figuring that out as we go along. We are figuring out what in the world it means to pivot, to be able to, to keep one foot steady. And that's, that foot for us right now is uh, staying steady and sharing the gospel and being the light that we've been called to be as the church in the lives of kids in the inner city. While at the same time, the other foot is moving in every which direction to be able to make sure that we can, we can have the best spot possible, whether it's to pass the ball, shoot the ball, do something. But uh, we're, we're trying to figure out how we can uh, change things that need to be changed so that we can serve families and serve kids and mentor and build relationship and share the gospel. So a lot of figuring things out right now as schools are transitioning, communities are transitioning, and really our, our, our ministry as a whole changes in the way we do it, but uh, it's not changing what we ultimately do, which is share the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And now when, when you talk about pivoting, that's a basketball move for yep. our people who, who don't understand the sport or aren't feeling the heat on just, you know, what's going on right now where you, the only way to go to an NBA game is to, to, to zoom in. I mean, it's ridiculous, but even in the NBA, pivoting is a very interesting practice. I feel like mm -hmm. there's some liberties taken. And so how are you going to keep your foot down the gospel? How, I mean, you're not planning to do like, you know, a LeBron pivot where you're just like, <laughs> really, you know, just doing whatever you want to do. And, and the, the refs are afraid to call you on it. I don't know if you yeah, have any no. thoughts, if that's a hot take or not. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to leave LeBron out of this. Sports conversations in our offices gets very heated, very lively. And people have threatened to quit before over different ideas on who the greatest is. So we'll leave, we'll leave high profile athletes out of it. But as a whole, for the most part, we are, we're definitely trying to figure out how we can how we can adjust, change, and be able to still move and do what we're supposed to do to make sure that we love our families well. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, like I said, Torres was, is with MAM. That's Memphis Athletic Ministries. Torres, could you just share with our listeners a little bit about who you guys are? Tell us the story of MAM. Sure. So uh, Memphis Athletic Ministries, call it MAM because we're lazy. MAM <laughs> is essentially using the, the avenue of sports to build a relationship with kids to be able to share the gospel. So we do other things. We do have academics, we have mentoring, we have sports and Bible study, and we do share the gospel with kids uh, quite a bit. So we, uh, we essentially are using those four things. Academics is, is the elementary age. We focus on making sure that kids are, are learning to read. Uh, for us, learning to read is pivotal for a kid to not only be able to grow as an adult, but even to grow in their own spiritual walk, uh, for a kid to be able to understand the gospel and to grow on their own, they have to be able to read their Bible and literacy is, uh, is, is huge. Um, so we, we fight for literacy in the elementary school age, middle school age. We work with kids that are, that are essentially 
using sports to build the social, emotional, and mental abilities in kids. So we, we really focus on sport to build the character and to use that to build development in children. And then in high school, we focus on building kids up through mentoring and preparing them for life after man. We focus day one when you enter the ninth grade. It's what are we going to do the day you leave ma'am? And so we really try and build that into them. So we're an after-school organization. We focus on kids after school. We pick kids up, bring them to our, our sites. And we have eight sites across the city, work with 700 kids every single day. So we have plenty of kids. And we are, we're making sure that kids get to our facilities. They get literacy, academics, um, mentoring, sports, and uh, they get food and they get the gospel. So every single day that's happening Monday through Saturday, and we play our, our sports on Saturdays, our basketball league, our flag football league, soccer, cheerleading, all of that happens on Saturday. And so we are running six days a week. It's a lot going on, but it's, it's a fun, fun sport. Uh, it's a fun ministry. Uh, it's a fun organization. So we get to do a lot of, a lot of cool things. It makes me want to be a kid. I'm like, can I please go to ma'am? Like go back into the fu- the not the future, the past, and just like... <laughs> Because I, I feel like I would have been probably one of you, the kids in your program because you had mentioned to me that it's not necessarily you're, you're looking for the premier athlete, athlete at school. You're, you're looking for the everyday kid. So can you, yeah, you kind of right. paint a picture of the kid that you, you guys are reaching? Sure. Like I said, we have 700 kids. And if any one of us knows kids, not all of those kids have got to be athletes. If you've got 700 of them, I promise you, they're not all athletes. <laughs> so what we do is we focus on kids in general we just focus on getting kids into our building. Sports is obviously a fun hook, mainly because it is fun and engaging. It leads to exercise and building uh, tons of skills. But sports for us, we're targeting kids that are simply going to school and going home and are not engaged in after-school sports within their school. So we're normally not chasing after the D1 athlete. We're chasing after the guy who didn't make the team. We're not chasing after the girl who is on the cheerleading squad, we're focusing on the one who didn't make the squad so that we can, uh, we can reach the, the much broader general kid so that we can, we can get them engaged with what we're doing. So we make sure that we, uh, we find ways to engage them by going to the school. We, we get to go into the cafeteria, hang out in the lunchroom, meet kids, go from table to table, doing uh, what we call contact work and making sure that, that kids know that we're, our coaches love them, care for them, and are there to to get to know them, to build a relationship with them so that we can invite them into what we're doing, which is sports and mentoring and sharing the gospel. So with this contact work, you guys have a relationship with the school and y'all are walking in and essentially advertising your after-school program as well as just checking in with kids. And that relationship is what really brings kids from the place of going home after school to coming to MAM. Yeah, so we, we have a great relationship with Shelby County Schools and with local charter schools. We focus in high needs areas. So we have a, a focus into to school districts and to schools that many people would look at and say, man, they don't have everything. So um, we go into high need areas and we make sure that we build a relationship with the administration, with the school system first. Then we work with the teachers to let them know that we care and that we're invested in the community. And from there, we, we then build a relationship with students. So there is a process in which we do all that. It does take time for us to build a new site or to, to build um, it, the reputation into a, a community. Currently, we recently just built a, a reputation with Fraser Community Schools, which is a charter school district in our city. And it just took us a while. We had to build a relationship with, uh, with some of the 
key stakeholders in the community, had to build a relationship with the, the charter school administration. And, and then finally, they let us in and they let us build uh, what we're going to build, which is essentially a gym, classroom space, and build relationships. But it all takes time and it, it's a lot of effort and a lot of shaking hands, kissing babies, and making sure that everyone knows who you are. So how many babies did you have to kiss to get into- uh, Three. There was three. <laughs> three children. Oh, it's amazing. I'm sure there's other mentoring organizations that are looking to either build relationships with schools or even dread having to maintain or build those relationships. And they're like, well, I'm just in it for the kids. But what you're saying is that really, in order to get access to the kids, you have to have a thriving relationship with the school that you've built. You've built trust, which yeah, then gives you there, access there to the has kids. To be trust. So how, how do you, I mean, I would love to hear just kind of the, the process sure. of, of like who's on your team building relationship with the school. Is that just you? Is that? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, we have a, we are blessed. The Lord has been very gracious to us and we have a, we have a huge staff and we have staff at the site. So we have, we have a director of a site and then we'll have youth coordinators and part-time staff. And, and all of those people are put in place to be able to build those relationships across the community. So the neighborhood director, the director of that site, they are, we've given them the title neighborhood director because they don't simply direct that site. While that is their day-to-day -day obligation and their duties and responsibilities is to open the site, close the site, make sure everyone's there, they oversee the neighborhood. And there's a reality that we want them to take ownership of building relationship with the partners in the community, partners at the school, so that they see that it's not simply a, hey, go open a gym and close a gym for kids, that they really have ownership over an entire community and neighborhood. And that way it kind of gives them a wider focus when they're, when they're even thinking of their own job. And then obviously on my end as the, the COO, I'm making sure that I'm building relationships with the city of Memphis Parks and Rec Department, uh, building relationships with administrations and with, uh, with city council members and making sure that people know that MAM as an organization is here for the entire city. And then, and then each site is there for their individual neighborhood so that we have both a local and a, a local impact in the neighborhood, as well as kind of a, a larger impact in the city as well. Let me back up real quick, because this is yeah. this is like huge to, I mean, to recognize like an organization that's trying to be a resource to entire city. You get to a spot where you're, you're owning neighborhoods and relationships mm -hmm. in order to get access to every kid that, that lives there. But some people are just like, well, I'm just a volunteer. Like, I just want to invest in one kid. But mm -hmm. for someone like an organization like MAM to create this, create an organization and a structure to build these relationships and give those people who are like, I want to invest in a kid, in order for them to be able to do that, you kind of need people who are willing to build the structure and build a foundation. And so I, I would love to just hear what led you to be a part of that. Like what, what was the passion in you that was like, I don't want to just mentor a kid. I want to make space for hundreds of people to mentor kids. Cause I feel like yeah. that's a different animal. Well, I think it was in, I guess, an evolution and a growth process because I was one of those people who just wanted to change the life of a kid. When I first became a Christian, it was an immediate light bulb for me of, oh my gosh, why have I been living the way I was living for the last 20 years? And what can I do to make sure that no kid goes through the dumb mistakes that I made? 
So I was immediately drawn to discipling and sharing the gospel and, and growing uh, individual kids. So I worked for an organization called Young Life uh, and was a, a volunteer, which later led me to being on staff with that organization. And then I jumped into, into that neighborhood. It started for me just wanting to be with one kid, just change the life of any kid I could through the organization for Young Life. And then I went on staff and I decided I'm going to move into the neighborhood and I'm going to change that neighborhood. So I moved into a neighborhood here in Memphis called uh, Berclair. And with me and my wife and my daughters moved into to this neighborhood and, and we're going to change the neighborhood. And then eventually the Lord kind of put on my heart that, man, I can actually now change the city. And it was a, a, a gradual progress for me in the way the Lord kind of opened doors and at the same time kind of put different passions. But it did start with just simply going, how do I change the life of one kid? And I think it was through seeing how the Lord cares for each of us on the individual level and cares for all of us on the global level that I was able to kind of have that same vision of going, man, the Lord really does do both at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it, cause he's God, he can, but for us as limited, very limited human beings, we have to, we have to then kind of dedicate our energy and our time and our uh, resources to one specific area. And I think from there, that's where we get to, to see the impact of the church really grow that we get to see men and women of God dedicate their time to sharing their life with one person. And it kind of grows from there into, um, into who knows what. Yeah. I think something that I hear a lot is like faithful with little master over much. Like there's just a principle that God has called us to steward his heart within the place that we've been planted. And you just share in that progression of God, you did something to me. I want to do something in someone else. Now I want to plant my family in a place where we can influence a community. And now that we're influencing this community, you're calling us to influence a city. And I, for a mentor listening to this and for them to initially hear, oh, we're just, you know, serving 700 kids. And they're like, man, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is in order to get to that place, really it requires a bunch of people committing to that, carrying God's heart for the one before you get to the 700. And I, I just, I love that man. Yeah, it, it is a process. And I'm glad that the Lord, the Lord does not forget the one because it is easy to jump into the, man, I want to change everyone's life. Well, let's focus on one. Let's be faithful to what the Lord has, has called us to. And let's give the best that we absolutely have to offer to that one kid so that maybe it is just that one kid that you changed the life of, but that one kid could literally change an entire city state, country, who knows? So let's be faithful with what the Lord's put right in front of us. Amen. That's good, man. Well, you, you mentioned all of your focuses, literacy, social, emotional, spiritual development, and mm -hmm. life preparedness, really like once they get into high school, I love just the progression of like your, your program. The, the one that stands out to me is the sports, because I haven't interviewed someone who focuses on a sports program, which is interesting because you'd, you'd think there are a lot of mentoring programs that focus on sports, but the ones that I think of are more of, I guess, grooming professional athletes, not, mm -hmm. not like mentoring kids and sharing the gospel. Like, but that's, that's like something that can get me going. I'm like, man, I want to be a part of a sports program. That's all about mm -hmm. Jesus. And so I, I just want to ask a question, what has been beneficial about sports in the, like you said, social and emotional and spiritual development of kids, what have you seen be the greatest impact and why you do sports? Yeah. So uh, we've kind of identified, for lack of a better word, four essential like pillars that have, that have really driven why we use sports. 
So we'll start at the top, which is essentially the idea that every single person that is playing a sport learns a position, right? They all, they, they have to learn that they have a role that they play. And so what we've, what we've kind of looked at is the fact that each person learns that they have a, a role, they have a position, they are, that they've been developed and have skills and certain knacks for the way that they can do things. For example, I'm a short guy. I am five foot six. I am not about to go dunk. I'm not playing the center position on a basketball team. I will always be the point guard. And so I understand my role. And in that, the beauty of understanding your place in the greater scheme of things and really also understanding your identity in Christ. So uh, the, the very foundation of our organization is that we would coach, grow, and lead youth of Memphis to, to discover their identity in Christ and purpose in the community. And so being, under, uh, being able to understand the identity in Christ is huge. So understand that you are made in the image of God. And there is something special about sport that kind of lets a kid discover who they are and get to learn their unique skills and abilities. And so that's one of the foundational things for us is that you need to learn who you are in Christ. Um, not who you are as a basketball player, not who you are as a football player or a cheerleader or whatever, whatever you want to use to identify yourself, but to identify yourself as a Christ follower and who you are in Christ. So that's good. That's the first main thing that we, that we love about sports. The second is that it teaches a kid to understand what teamwork is. We are in an individualized world where everyone wants to do everything on their own. And it's all about your own accolades, your own self-worth, your own good deeds. And teamwork specifically is a unique thing that we get to see expressed in no other place better than the church of God. And so when we see teamwork build itself around this idea of you've got men and women who are coming together from very different backgrounds, from very different experiences, we're coming together for one goal, and that is to, in sports, win a game. But when they're coming together and we're teaching them how to do that so that when they become followers of Jesus Christ, when they become part of the church, they understand what that means. They have a frame of reference already. They know what it's like to play your role or to maybe encourage someone else to do better in their role or to, encourage, or to, uh, to edify someone else by encouraging them that they've done a great job in their role. It's a unique thing that if we can teach brothers and sisters in Christ to do that at a young age, then it's a skill that they'll have the rest of their life. And teamwork is, is one of those unique opportunities in sports that you get to kind of mirror that into the church. The next one for us is sportsmanship. We believe that there is something unique about sportsmanship in the team and sports world that you can take a loss or you can take hardship and you can endure and you can still show respect to someone else. You can still show love towards someone else. You can, you can work out differences. You can figure those things out in, in the sports context. So sportsmanship is a, is a huge part. And then lastly uh, for us is self-control. When you get that loss, when you take the L and you, have, you are down by 50 and you lose, you, there's a natural anger, a natural frustration, and a natural adversity that a kid is going to experience that they have to learn how to both process and grieve and then overcome. And I think that it also then lets us see that when things don't go our way in life, when life hits you and it punches you in the face, that you understand how to overcome the adversity and that you also understand certain disciplines. You know, it's not easy to wake up every morning and to get into your word. It's not easy to, to wake up every morning and to pray. It's not easy to 
to build in the disciplines around your life that would make you excel as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and sports helps teach that to continue to do those drills that nobody wants to do and to run the laps that nobody wants to run and to put in the extra work. It, it's, it's helpful for a kid to understand that this is a lifelong process. And so those four things, kids being in the image of God, sportsmanship, teamwork, and self-control are the four pillars that we've used as sport to kind of build in around all aspects of sharing the gospel. That is so good. I, I hear a lot from people who see sports and children as like, you have to be really careful in, I guess, not allowing sports to become their God, like that they really could just be like, this is all I got. Like all I have is the sport that I'm playing. And if I don't do well, then I feel depressed, shame, guilt, yeah. like, and fall apart. But I just love the vision that you just cast of the, the benefits and the underlying, yeah, just development that comes from being a part of sports and to translate that, I think, and, and I would, I would assume that that's something that you guys are translating on a regular basis of like, Hey, we're learning, yeah. we're learning discipline by doing this. Oh, and also this is why we wake up early to do a quiet time because like our souls need to, to learn how to be disciplined. Like, and we have to develop practices as we develop that, that we learn when we practice, when we lift weights, when we do the menial things that don't really feel like there's much benefit to, but once we get into the game, like we're changed and, and we're flourishing. So I just, mm -hmm. I love that. So what does that look like for you guys to translate that is just, is that a, so what we do is we, uh, we actually build into our, our, our whole structure of practice with kids, our league, every aspect that we have, we try to build in a lot of these disciplines and, and we try to make it as blunt as possible that that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to shy away from any of that stuff. We are letting kids know upfront, this is why we do what we do. So uh, for example, what we'll do is we'll sometimes change up what would might be a, a very simple drill in practice to simply teach a life lesson. For example, we'll take a scrimmage at the end of a practice and we'll say, hey guys, we're gonna run a scrimmage. It'll be five on five. So the guys will break up into two teams of five and we can play the sport and simply say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play five on five, but no one's allowed to pass to this one player on each team. Well, what we do is we, the kid still has to play. They're running up and down the court uh, and they're experiencing the ups and downs of the flow of the game, but they're not getting the ball. They're just standing there. And then we'll stop after a few minutes and we'll ask the kid, how did that feel to know you were not getting the ball? You were not going to experience any part of it, but you were still part of the team. He goes, well, I was kind of frustrated. I kind of, I didn't like it. And how did it make you guys feel on the rest of the team? Right. And they'll tell you, well, I hated I couldn't pass him because I, I needed him. Uh, exactly. And so we get to build in this, this moment of teaching a kid a life lesson while playing a simple game where we change the rules, we control the atmosphere, we control how the practice goes, and, and we get to teach them a valuable life lesson. And we get to teach them a lesson of what it means to be, again, the body of Christ. And look, look we do need him on the team. We do need this kid to be able to, to pass to and to be able to pass back and to be able to shoot and to score so that we can win. And when you can build those small little lessons over a kid's lifetime at MAM, when a kid starts at eight years old with us and finishes when they're 18, we have 10 years of life lessons built in them. Our prayer is that they will have understood the gospel and are walking away as productive, uh, life-giving disciple makers for our city. I love that, man. Do you have any other examples or 
like just moments like that where you you change the rules to bring to mind like the importance of one of these values because I, I think that that's that's challenging to me of kind of provoking mentors to think about mm -hmm. how could we give a life lesson by removing something and showing the benefit of it yeah so so one of the the ideas that jumps one of the times that jumps out of my uh, to me a, a ton is we had uh, this coach coach jose phenomenal coach phenomenal man he passed away to be with the lord but he was amazing at his job and uh, Coach Jose had this one kid who was driving him nuts, to be quite frank. The kid was just disruptive during practice, disruptive dur during after school, uh, just quite honestly was driving him nuts. And uh, what happened is he was on the team and he just wasn't, he wasn't engaged. He wasn't showing up on time. He, he just, he seemed disinterested, but yet he was always there. And so you're like, why are you coming here if you don't want to be engaged? And really what it was is Coach Jose realized it was, it was driving him nuts that that this kid was not as engaged, was not showing up on time, which just wasn't a part of the team. What he did was he said, hey, I'm giving this kid the keys to the ball closet. This kid is now responsible for everything that happens because if he doesn't show up with this key, we don't play ball. And if he doesn't show up on time, we don't play ball. And so he trusted this kid with the keys to the ball closet. Well, all of a sudden, the leadership that he instilled in this kid by pure force was, uh, was one of those things where the, the kid realized I have to be there. Everyone relies on me. And it changed something in that kid where all of a sudden he was on time. He was engaged. He like Jose saw the potential in him as a leader and Jose saw the capabilities of him as a leader. And by simply handing him the keys, he forced him into this role that really then motivated that one kid to, to take ownership and to take responsibility and, there was a complete 180 in the kid. And you see this, this change in which, which they now take ownership and, and are called to a higher standard simply because they know this coach believes in me. Uh, the coach has an incredible voice in a kid's life. Uh, teachers have a role, parents have a role, youth pastors have a role, but a coach is a specific role that is both disciplinarian and encourager. And, and it's, a unique, it's a unique opportunity for any adult to be able to speak truth and tr speak life into a kid. Yeah. So I feel like the coach role is, is it's like a, I guess a short-term mentor. Like you, you have like a defined role in this kid's life that you're calling him up mm -hmm. into everything he can be. You're encouraging, you're affirming, you give attention. Like mm -hmm. a mentor is like a long-term coach where you're consistently in, in the life of the kid. And I just, I love, I just, the themes that I'm picking up from that story of ownership, motivation, challenge, that I think mm -hmm. th those are things that I think are, need to be in a mentor's tool belt of like, how am I challenging, motivating, and how, how am I recognizing my role in the relationship? Like when I think about sports, I think about, I wanted to make my coach proud. Like I, I remember this one time we were in a, a playoff game when I was in high school and somebody got fouled and they didn't call it. And my coach was just like railing on this ref and he got, he got, <laughs> he got a T and then he got ejected from the game. So he wasn't allowed to like be inside the, the, the court. He had to move outside. And I just remember when he was walking away, he was like, finish this game. And like, he walked out and he watched the rest of the game from, from like the window behind the door. And our whole team, <laughs> our whole team was just like, let's go. Like we got to win this game for coach shorter. Like, and 
we ended up winning the game. And I just remember feeling this sense of like, we just made our coach so proud. Like, and you did. <laughs> and I, I feel like for kids, I mean, particularly kids from hard places, like they want someone to be proud of them. Like, and that, I, I think that is a motivating factor within a coach relationship, within a mentor relationship that, man, these kids just want someone to be proud of them. And, Absolutely. And I think sports is something that you can recognize, like, this is a great opportunity for me to, to put forward, like, my worth, my value, and for someone to just, like, I mean, just celebrate me and be and be mm -hmm. proud of me. So I, I don't know if you recognize that, that, I don't know, just the, the coach's role of, like, motivating a kid through just that, man, I'm so proud that you're playing your role, that you're doing your thing, that you showed up, that you took responsibility, ownership. Like, I don't know if you see that motivation that, that sports brings. One of the unique things that we try and get our staff to say to a kid is, I see you. I see you over there hustling. I see you over there rebounding. I see, and you're simply doing a small thing of saying, I see you. A kid just wants to be seen sometimes. And, and I think that's, it goes along those same lines of they want, they want to make the coach proud, right? And, and there's something special when a coach says that and affirms that like, hey, I see you over there hustling. I see you running and touching the line instead of just kind of getting close to it. Like, I see you going over there and lifting those extra 10 pounds. I see you cleaning up when we're done. I see you locking up and taking care of everyone's stuff. Like, it's, the, it's every little thing that you can encourage in to go ahead and encourage. Uh, because that may be the only form of encouragement that kid gets all day, all week, all month. So it's, a, it's an awesome opportunity that we even get to do that as coaches or as mentors. And, and the beautiful thing about a coach is that, uh, that they can be your coach your entire life. Um, they can be your coach, not only through sport, but all the way through uh, when you're done playing, uh, playing the sport. They can still be your coach. They're always going to be coach so-and-so. Even though they're no longer your coach, you still call your coach, coach whatever. Like, <laughs> The, it's just the way it is, even though that was not his name, you still call him coach. And that's one of the beautiful things about that role is that there's a special place for a coach in every kid's life. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I think a lot of people have the thought that coaches are nitpicky, that they're going to see everything that I do wrong. And what you're saying is like, you trained your coaches to be very intentional in seeing everything you did right. Everything. And, and, and to highlight those things as a, I don't know. Just it sounds very positive, whereas I think in a in a lot of situations, kids may experience just, man, adults are seeing everything that I do wrong, and that can be a, a fairly isolating and insulating experience where kids just shut down. We take a lot of time to make sure that our coaches are uh, what we've what we've called trauma sensitive coaching, and we are making sure that we understand that a lot of the 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 neighborhoods that we work in are, are, are high needs areas that there are lots of traumas happening. Some of our kids don't know where their next meal are coming from. Some of these kids maybe don't know uh, what's going to happen in, in their neighborhood. There may be violence. Uh, there may be uh, regentrification. There may be X, Y, or Z. Who knows what's happening in the neighborhood around them? And then even sometimes in the home, there's just uncertainty of, uh, are the lights going to be on? Are we going to get evicted? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And, and, and so we want to be able to provide coaching that is trauma sensitive, that we're aware that our kids are not coming to us from community in a, a, a neighborhood where it's, everything's fine and dandy and there's picket fences and, and, you know, like it's just not the neighborhoods that we're working in. But at the same time, 
we want to encourage them to, to know that there is a God who cares and there is a God who sees them just like we see them and he's in love with them and he cares for them and is absolutely smitten with the idea that they would cast their eyes on him and that he would cast their eyes on them. Uh, and so it's a, it's a unique position that we get to be in as coaches to be aware of the environment that our kids are coming from and that it's, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to coach them in these, in these environments. Yeah. I, I just watched that uh, documentary undefeated about Manassas high school football team. I know those kids well, actually. Okay. Well, Darius made me watch it because he, he was like, you got to see this movie. And it's, it's interesting to me. I think just the, the vulnerability of coaches being there when you lose, being there when you fail. Absolutely. And the opportunity to speak into that. I mean, even just how you kind of explained in your pillars of understanding that this isn't just about celebrating wins, but recognizing how can we endure and learn from our losses and the sportsmanship mentality. And so I don't know if, if you could speak to just the the importance of mentors and coaches being there when you lose, being there when you fail, and what are the benefits of how, how can a mentor respond not sensitively but beneficially in those moments? What are what are like the best practices for addressing failure? Yeah. I think that the way you put it is is perfect is simply being with. The reality is is that all of us as mentors don't have all the answers. We are not God. Um, we do not know the exact things and emotions and feelings that a kid is feeling in the moment of that loss. There may be things that we don't fully understand in their loss or in their grieving of it. Uh, and, and so we're just so different and we, we may not fully understand them or we may, we may understand 99%, but that 1% is a big deal. And so we have to realize one is that we can't fully understand what each kid is going through, but we're going to be with them in it just the the one difference is for for us is the lord not only fully understands but he is with us and so that's the beauty of 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 being a follower of jesus but as a as a human as a man i may not fully understand but i'm going to be with you and i'm simply going to be there and let you cry let you figure it out let you process the emotions maybe the kid does need to to vent for a, a moment maybe the kid does need to rip that jersey off and throw it into the corner well my hope would be over the, over the course of many losses that they'd stop throwing the jersey on the ground. But the reality is, is that I'm going to be there when you're frustrated. Not going anywhere. I'm not going to kick you off the team. I'm not going to, to abandon you. I'm going to be here. And it may be, may be really hard. It may be really difficult, but I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to just be alongside you. And, and I think that's, it's a hard thing to learn. And it's a hard thing to sometimes be okay because we want to sometimes fix the behavior of the kid. You know, we don't want them throwing the, 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 we don't want them kicking over the bench and throwing their jerseys and acting, acting crazy. But at the same time, we're like, well, that's how he's processing right now. Hopefully over time we can develop different ways to process it. But right now, this is what he's got. This is the best way that this kid knows how to process these emotions and these feelings. So let me just simply be there with him. Now, maybe at a different time, we talk about the, the fact that I don't want you throwing the bench across the, the gym floor. But right now, I'm going to simply be here. We're going to talk. We're going to be calm. We're going to be rational. And we're just simply going to sit in it and, and simply be with them uh, just as Christ is with us. And so uh, it's, a, it's a, a hard thing to do because we want to fix things. We're just natural fixers. If you're a mentor and you're, you're trying to change uh, the life of a kid, you want to change the life of a kid. And so you want to address the behaviors. 
but it's a process. And, uh, and sometimes we need to be okay with it, not looking the way we would think it should look or would look if, you know, if their life was X, Y, or Z. Yeah. That it's got me thinking just the experience of facing failure alone versus mm-hmm. with others. I, I mean, it's like that phrase where it's like, if a tree fell in the woods where no one was there, would, would it even make a sound? Like, yeah. What, what is the experience of a kid facing failure alone? Like, and, and how does that create just an environment of unhealth and detriment to his, his development of like, yeah. I mean, even just think about Manassas high school, like those, all those kids are on a football team. So they're probably yeah. not the kids that are in your program because they're connected to a coach. They're connected to a sport, but the other kids in that community who aren't connected to a team who are maybe facing challenges and failures mm-hmm. in an environment where they're facing them alone. They don't have someone there to possibly pick them up and, mm-hmm. and tell them it's okay. And I'm with you. I'm just, I'm trying to put my mind in that place of a, of a kid. Yeah, that's facing loneliness, loneliness is a dangerous thing. And I think as mentors and, and coaches, we need to remember that loneliness is a very, it, it was, it is, it's something that even pre-fall, the Lord decided this is not good that this guy be alone. That is something that we have to remember that even, even in perfect Eden, the Lord saw, mm, this ain't a good idea that this guy be alone. One, he's probably a knucklehead and he's going to mess this up. But, uh, but the reality is, is that's a, that's, that was something pre-fall that the Lord identified as a problem. And so we've got to be aware that it's a unique, special, high calling as a mentor to simply be with someone because it is, it is combating that, that loneliness, which can take people into very dark and very scary places. And, and so we want to be aware of that and, and celebrate the fact that we're making sure someone's simply not alone. Wow. That, that is just a really good, like practical for mentors, just being there, you've already won. Like you've, yes. you've already done the thing you were supposed to do. So every mentor that's like, I don't know what to do. Like when they lose, do I, do I, comfort their back? Do I tap? Do I, you know, go in a circular motion? Like what question do I just be there? Just show up. Just. And that's why it's so even difficult right now, specifically with this time that we're in with COVID-19, the idea of being alone, isolated in our homes and, and not with others is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous for kids. It's dangerous for adults. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. And so we have to be aware of finding those other ways, like we said earlier, pivoting, finding a new way to be able to be engaged in the life of kids and to be engaged in and simply be there even though you can't be there. That's good. Torres, any any other practical things that you've learned from mentoring over the years or stories at ma'am that that would just be an encouragement to people who are thinking about mentoring man we would be here all day but the, the the reality is is we we have a very very awesome opportunity through coaching and mentoring but specifically the the idea of sport and, and coaching we have a very unique opportunity to to share the gospel with kids and we have 
Uh, we have so many kids across the city of Memphis specifically that have been impacted by MAM and what we're doing that it's really, really encouraging to watch these kids eventually come on MAM staff and start doing it with kids in their neighborhood that they were doing it, uh, that, that they were alongside and now are, now are the coaches. Wow. Um, I wanna encourage every single mentor out there to stick with it because it may not be within your lifetime. <laughs> it may not be any time that you'll see it, but eventually the kids, uh, the lives of those that you change will remember and will do what you've done for others and the, the, the lineage will continue of, of sharing the gospel and mentoring others. Just don't lose hope and continue to show up. Come on. That's Jonathan Torres, the COO of Memphis Athletic Ministries, or if you're lazy, ma'am. Jonathan Torres, thank you so much for investing in our mentors, man. It was great having you on. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.